Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Very good, thanks. Very good. What are we today? Tuesday. I'm traveling to, to see my dad on Thursday for his birthday and uh, take him away for the weekend. So that should, that's going to be fun. And other than that, just managing time zones. I um, had to set a meeting yesterday that I had to take into account five time zones. Um, four of those time zones, no, three of those time zones were in the US. <laughs> yeah. So, that that was uh, that was fun, and it's one of those things. Where I was like, I don't know if you remember, Cortana was going to do that for you for a while. You could you could include a Cortana in your email, then she would she would get involved to get everyone's availability and all that stuff. And I used it once, and I was thinking about it when I was doing this time zone booking. Like, imagine if we had an AI that could just do this for us. And then I remember the Cortana and this experience I had, and it was terrible. Um, I never heard back from Cortana on the meeting. When I invited her, and the people that I'd asked to set up with got like a hundred emails, so it was a complete mess. So they just didn't want to. They just didn't want to meet. <laughs> and I always wondered whatever happened to them. Um, so like three months later, where I emailed them and said, "Hey, whatever happened to that meeting?" And they're like, "No, you spammed us with like a whole hundred, like a hundred emails, and um, to, to arrange this meeting." So we decided that you were too busy and and uh, we didn't want to meet with you. And I was like, "No, no, no, that 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 wasn't me. That was Katana." So we went back to the old-fashioned way, and now I use Candidly, which works for 99% of the time. Yeah, I remember trying that Cortana um, virtual meeting assistant as well and having trouble getting it to work correctly. Um, I think the challenge can honestly be people booking their calendars with sort of optional things or like blocking focus time or, you know, whole weeks can be booked. So if you're like truly trying to find a free time for everyone, you might be like a month out, which is not practical. So, you know, you still have to have the human element of coming together. Okay. Like, can anyone move this or that? Do you need to be at that meeting? Um, so yeah, the amount of hours um, we spend a week on meeting scheduling is a little frightening. I, I, I do wish we had, better ai for that yeah and, and, and you're right people do feel and it's not a, it's not wrong either to fill your diary with with time bookings no. and that's but i also think half the problem is having too many meetings that you don't need and some people like me will book their diary like i've got to book my diary between five and seven where we are now because that's when my kids come home and you know it's the only time i'll get with them to they've gone to school so i want to spend some time with them so i want to you know dinner with them and, and bath them and, and all that stuff because normally by se- at seven o'clock i've got a call and that's normally when they go to bed so you've got to get that time in otherwise you know you never see them and it's unfortunately I've, I've had this last week where a few people have had to use that slot and it's disruptive because you know while you're, while you're on the call your kids are coming home and they're used to seeing you so now you've got to still break out of the call and go talk to them anyway so uh, yeah i mean 
you've got to find what works, I guess. Yeah, it's it's really tricky with the multiple time zones thing. I think people, you sort of end up exchanging who draws the short straw in terms of like, hey, it's a really early meeting or, you know, it's in your evening. There's not not a lot of ideal things for um, synchronous calls. No, and I've, and I've been playing with Otto as a, well, the, the, the offering they have for you now is that Otto can join your meeting. It'll transcribe the meeting uh, and send you an email afterwards of the main topics. And then it's supposed to do some other stuff, which I haven't seen it actually do, like pull out the action items and, and that sort of thing. But that part still seems to be manual, like you still need to go through the transcripts and, and call out the actions, which I suppose is fine if it's a short meeting, but I had like a three hour meeting the other day. And I was hoping that Otto would just pull out the main points and the actions. And the, it didn't even pull out, pull out the main points, right? Like it point, pulled out all the wrong things and made them as the, as the outline. So, you know, that, that's the other problem with the, these tools um, to try help with meetings is, is there's still a need to have a manual intervention. Um, but what was useful about that is, I, is the reason why I brought it up is I couldn't make a meeting on Friday because we had something personal come up. So I just said to the guys, look, have the meeting and I'll watch and just record and I'll watch the video. And because I got the transcription emailed to me by by Otto, I knew what had happened in the meeting. So by the time I watched the video, uh, which I still watched, I already had a gist of it. So I could just actually speak through it, you know, 2x speed and then just skip along um, because the transcription was there. And I see that Teams is doing that now as well. It'll also transcribe the meeting for you when you click record, which I think is quite good. So, you know, I think that these are these are ways to m- maybe cut down meetings for the sake of meetings and, and have more, or, or at least cut down meetings where everyone has to be there versus having just the people that can make it. Uh, and then also, if you do need to have a meeting and because you can't remember, you, had, you know, something was missed from the last meeting, at least you've got the transcriptions now and the videos available to you that can be processed and give you some of the, the salient points to when you last met and, and what you discussed. Um, but I, I still haven't seen the one. I think there's filament, which is the other one, that's supposed to pull out the, the, the actions because that's really what you want is the actions. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a good transition point actually into talking about some 2023 digital workplace trends because I do see one around sort of refining remote work processes and I think what that means will look different to every organization but I think meetings are a big part of what that refinement could look like whether that's no meeting Fridays whether that's you know we don't have meetings longer than this amount I can't remember what company it was but one just like cleared all of the recurring meetings off of their employees' calendars and did some sort of forced break to try to cut down on the number of meetings and sort of do a a hard reset. Um, So whatever it looks like, I do think we'll see more of that as sort of remote working goes from, you know, the state where we are just sort of needing to get it done, figuring it out to, okay, how can we make it better and actually address some of the pain points we all have kind of identified a lot over the past couple of years. I was actually listening to one of our previous episodes and we were talking about meetings uh, as well, funnily enough. And I was listening to one of our episodes and it came up. And then I went, I was listening to another episode about some um, 
it was they call it a fast acting brain scan machine. So basically, they were watching. They they had a they did a test. Uh, one was um, mom and mom and child staring at a blank wall, talking to each other. So you can imagine chairs on either side of a blank wall talking to each other. The other one was mom and child sitting across from each other on devices talking to each other with a separation. And then the last one was mom and child talking to each other directly. And they had this this all the this, the sensors on their brains on the skull, obviously measuring their brains. And what they came out of that with is. The mom and the child that was had the wall between them um, had still partial brain activity on multiple areas of the brain. Mom and child talking to each other directly had the most, like nine areas were uh, engaged. And mom and child on the, the screens only had one area engaged. And what they were thinking is or saying is that the the reason that well, what they thought about that is even though you do, you've got they've got the cameras on and you're still talking to each other, there's quite a lot of stuff that you're not getting from a stimulation point of view. Obviously, uh, you know, secondary level that you're not really aware of or, or unconsciously aware of. Yeah, you it's unconscious. You're not aware of it. And what that means is that you're using a lot more energy to engage what they think is what you do because it's video. To, for your brain to compensate for what it's not getting, so because it's only got one area that's firing, it's all it's all centered on that area. That area I think had had most the most activity, whereas the people that were in the other scenarios had more feedback. So they had they had a, a much um, I don't want to say lighter load, but the load was spread more. So they, so what they thought was the, the and this is where the zoom fatigue came from. Remember zoom fatigue from from days of in oh, yeah. the beginning of. Um, and I can't remember exactly all the stuff, but basically what they're thinking is that your brain, your body needs certain information when you when you talk to somebody, and if it doesn't get that, then it has to try and fill the gaps in, and that only uses a portion of the brain, and that's why people get tired. Um, so what they're saying is you still need to have the face-to-face time and, and all that stuff, which which we know is, is you know completely true. Um, the why this was interesting for me is. If you think about where the metaverse is going, well, this whole metaverse thing, which has gone quiet again, mm-hmm. but the idea that, that you'd be more present, and I'd be interested to see if they did the fourth test, which is now you're in a, um, a virtual environment wearing all the kit, and they do the same measurement of the brain, but now you're, phys- you're in a virtual world talking to each other, do you get the extra stimulation that you need? Because the people that that in the first two cases didn't say they were tired at the end of the conversation, whereas the people on the on the on the screen calls did, did say they were tired. Um, I'll try and find the, the the audio for that. I can't remember who who, who had it. It might have been on on Skeptics Guys Universe. Cool. No, that sounds incredibly interesting, and that's exactly where my mind went as well. To what if they repeat the experiment in a metaverse? environment or even like the Microsoft Teams sort of AR experience, would that do anything different? Because I think in terms of like compelling signals that'll push companies to adopt this kind of technology, I think, you know, studies that show that it's more engaging and effective would actually go a long way to proving some, you know, greater value of experimenting with this kind of work tech. Yeah, hopefully that kind of research is 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 happening. I mean, I'm sure a bunch of 
um, research is being done by Meta and Microsoft and others to try to find like, you know, scientific evidence for some of these things as well. So maybe we'll see that um, in the coming year even. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I remember being a stat someone, you know, that what they say about stats, you know, 90% of them are made up on the spot. Um, but I do remember reading somewhere that something about in a survey of employees in 2022, 93% said they would rather not go back to the office. Um, and then they broke that down into how many percentages of that were being forced to go back and how many were given the option and how many were given complete flexibility. And it was like, it was about a third, a third, a third, give or take on each of those categories. And then of the ones that were being forced back, they asked how many were, how many were motivated to, to work, like, like motivated, like, you know, were you happy with the idea, all that kind of stuff? How many were, um, were willing to do it because, you know, that's what they had to do, but they were, they were kind of going to adapt as they went and how many were looking for another job. And it was like a hundred percent were looking for another job. There was like no one who was motivated by being forced back to the office. And then, then the other splits were, were a little bit more even because, you know, hybrid kind of made sense for their business anyway. And then the flexibility was like a hundred percent motivated, do whatever you want. Um, now that's always the, all these, a lot of things are always taken from the employee point of view not necessarily from the leadership or what the business wants per se, um, which I think, you know, they need to have that to, to give it a bit of thing. But I think if you if you find the balance where you can do a little level of in-person with a level of uh, just what we're doing now, just a camera and a, and a conversation, and then having this, this virtual environment, um, and you're thinking mostly like about training environments and that sort of stuff, um, I think you would probably find people would be quite, quite into that because it, you know there's a, that level of of if you went to a virtual environment you could dress how you need to dress appropriately um you know there's a level of of fun to it i guess I mean, obviously i'm talking about the general person there were obviously people that won't want to do it because it'll make them seasick or or that sort of stuff um but you know i think the proliferation proliferation of the stuff would be interesting as a, as a fourth option to to working Mm. Yeah, it would be. I am, you know, I'm curious with some of those polls around the, you know, back to office type initiatives, if we'll start to see more organizations um, sort of forcing that this year, because obviously another huge trend is the need to do more with less cost cutting sort of recession guarding um, that every organization is is looking to do right now. And it's we're sort of in this interesting scenario. And I only know the unemployment rate in the US, so I don't know how sort of international this is, but unemployment's really, really low. Um, but then you also see sectors like tech that are obviously doing massive layoffs to so that unemployment maybe more on the sort of front line or obviously not evenly distributed across industries. So what that could do is give employers more, you know, I think for a couple years, the sort of baton of control or power or influence has been more in the employee's hands as employers just need to um, attract and engage scarce talent. 
But now, I think particularly in sectors like tech, we might see organizations start to not offer as inflated of salaries or I don't know if inflated is the right word there, but, you know, kind of dial back some of what they've been doing the last few years because they can. Um, I would not be surprised if we if we saw that as another trend. Yeah, I mean, if I look at, um, I think, who was it? It was Alphabet just just let go 12,000 people. Obviously, Twitter we know about, so letting go a whole lot because of, of what Musk is doing. And I was, if you look at Apple, Apple's never letting, never got rid of a whole lot of people. Hmm. You know, the last time they did a big purge was when Steve Jobs came back to turn it around, which which tells you about the leadership of Tim Cook, to be honest, because he was leading it behind Steve Jobs then too. They don't overemploy, and I can only think that all these tech layoffs are just overemployment. Um, and, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing. It was probably you know, there was pretty good reason. There was probably a lot of a lot of projects, a lot of initiatives, and there was going to be a natural contraction at some point. Um, and if you look at how the amount of startups that have that are that are taking off, you know, when when I remember quite clearly when Citrix was letting go of people, there was a lot of people on my LinkedIn profile saying, "Well, don't worry, here are the 150 startups." That are hiring right now um and those are still going off and i'm still seeing big numbers of, of startups hiring and i think you're right in the sense that the salaries may not be the same but for a lot of those startups because they're probably early stage ones or early stage businesses let's say you know in their first couple of years you may not get the big salary but you, but you get the equity mm-hmm. um if you're willing to do that then in the technology field you'll be great i still think in the in, in the sort of more Normal businesses, you know, banking, or let's say financial services, insurance, mining, etc. There's still work there. There's still be, there's still a need for for people to to come in and do stuff. Um, but there had to be a natural contraction anyway. COVID did obviously its thing and accelerated a lot of that stuff. But I just think some of these companies were just over over hiring. Um, and 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 sorry, put aside another thought. Like in the UK, for example, and I can't remember the employment rate is there. We saw quite a big shift when they brought in R35 because R35 basically turned a whole lot of one-person companies, uh, which were contractors, into employees. And typically what would have happened is, an, uh, is a company would have hired a contractor for a period of time, used them to do something, and then let them go because they're, you know, they're contractors. But now they had to hire a whole lot of people because they were because the whole thing about R35, which is a tax thing, was you, you're basically treated as an employee which you're not employees, so you're not paying the same tax that you should be as an employee. That's like the gist of it. And what you're probably finding specifically in the UK, and I don't know if the US has the same laws, is these companies would hire a whole lot of people because of that. And now they've hit, now they're going to get rid of them because they would have got rid of them as contractors and not have the the rigmarole to let mm-hmm. them go. Because as a contractor, you just say, look, your contract's not being renewed. You know, sorry. Um, but as an employee, they have to now treat them as employees and, and you know, do the whole termination process and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's probably what you're seeing is some of that sort of backlash, specifically in the UK. I don't know about about the US, but I did see quite a big percentage in the UK in the UK posts that I've seen. So that that's probably what I think's happened. Interesting. Yeah, as far as I know, there's no federal law like that, but it's always possible. You know, California tends to be 
more progressive on that kind of legislation. And that's obviously where a lot of the big tech companies are located in the Bay Area. So it wouldn't surprise me, you know, they if they're reacting to, you know, any legislative changes there too. But I think obviously the line from a lot of the big uh, CEOs, you know, Zuckerberg and others has been, we sort of made, we miscalculated, right? We thought we would keep growing and, you know, things have slowed down. So whoops, yeah, we kind of made an error there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's just whatever. I, I'm, I'm not going to slate them. I wasn't in the room and they made those decisions, but I mean, suffice to say, um, if you look at, if you look at share prices of companies, just looking at Zoom, you know, Zoom was, was about $500 at one point during COVID. I think it's about 250 or something like that. You know, it's dropped drastically. There was no way that a lot of these technology companies would have seen the same growth as they got during COVID after COVID and about the main lockdowns and whatever. So um, they're hiring up with the expectation that it would stay like that, you know, probably wasn't realistic. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just, you know, it's easy to say that in hindsight. To be fair, um, I do need to go. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Have a cool. good weekend. Thanks. You too. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.